we can think about the wider context and what might be going on. And certainly in the themes and conversations we had at the Reykjavik Global Forum recently, a number of different themes. The first is the why relates to the why of the other big political shocks that have happened in our world. And whether that's Trump or whether that's Brexit or those range of things. What we do know is there is significant inequality. We know that there is a view that women, even as girls now, feel a little bit more of an opening towards them, thinking that they don't have to fulfill traditional stereotypes, but that boys are struggling with thinking about their identity going forward. And that might be one of the things that we're seeing coming through in the data that they are moving towards re-traditionalizing in the absence of understanding what their role can be. So I think we have to be very clear about that. I think economic shocks, which certainly we've been experiencing, a couple of other themes that have been discussed around this, you know, the active targeting on social media of young men and young women around themes to do with regressive views. And then lastly, our young people are the first generation to come through who have had access from a very young age to pornography and to social media and all the stereotyping that is part of that. And we don't know, but perhaps that is also driving this inability to view women as being suitable for leadership. Welcome back to The Fix, where every week we interview thought leaders, world leaders, academics, business leaders, activists, and ordinary people who are taking action to make workplaces work for everyone. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like our podcast, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. On last week's episode, we did a deep dive into the ideal worker concept and how this holds women back at work. Successful women often disregard gender roles, which makes people uncomfortable. For female leaders, managing this is critical. Having people support you determines how well you can build relationships and influence people. In other words, how well you can lead. Leading through backlash can be an incredibly difficult thing to do. It takes a toll on women's self-esteem and relationships. Backlash results in people disliking successful women and preferring male leaders. As society doesn't associate women with power, employees don't either, which is why it's acceptable to push back on women leaders and question their legitimacy. If you think this isn't true in your workplace, you're probably wrong. The latest findings from the 2022 Reykjavik Index for Leadership report shows that despite seeing progress in earlier years, all G7 countries see a downward trend in the acceptance of female business leaders. And we see a similar pattern in the acceptance of women as heads of government. Views on women's suitability for leadership in government and business are increasingly prejudiced. Not only does this limit women's ability to lead, but it also increases women's stress levels, anxiety, and negative impacts associated with mental and emotional well-being. Fix the women's solutions encourage women leaders to try to be more communal and engage in stereotypical feminine behaviours to try and counteract these negative effects. And while this might help make women leaders more palatable, it's an incredibly misogynistic fix. We're basically asking women to make everyone feel better about their success, smile more, speak softer, dress better, and do anything you can to put other people at ease with your authority. 
simply engaging in the same behaviours as men at work will not ensure that women are treated in the same way as men because of gender stereotypes. For women to lead, they need to influence without the likability or authority automatically afforded to men. And they have to do this while also managing invisible barriers, inequality moments, gender stereotypes, and backlash. This is what makes women leaders so exceptional. They survive their workplaces by developing the ability to interact, speak up, disagree, and engage with men and women and all individuals in a way that limits their negative reactions. On today's podcast, we're joined again by Dr. Michelle Harrison, the global CEO of Kantar Public. And Michelle's going to be discussing with us the recently published findings of the fifth and extended edition of the Reykjavik Index for Leadership, which highlights entrenched prejudice towards women leaders. It was launched in 2018 and the Reykjavik Index measures and tracks progress in society's perception of women and men's suitability to lead across 23 different economic sectors. Together with women political leaders, Michelle and her company Kantar Public have conducted this groundbreaking research. And today, she and we are going to unpack why societal attitudes have stalled when it comes to women in leadership positions. Spoiler alert, it is not a happy story. First, let's hear from Michelle about the research generally and what this year's index findings reveal. The Reykjavik Index for Leadership is a measure of how society views men and women in terms of their suitability for leadership. So it's a perception. And what we do is we ask questions across the whole of society in a way that's very representative of how society views its leaders. So perhaps the most important thing about this year was that it was the fifth year that we had looked at the Reykjavik Index for the G7 group of countries. So that's at five years, you start to have time series. So you start to be able to compare things and how they're changing over time. And I would say the most stunning feature, don't hold your breath. Absolutely nothing has changed. So over the last five years, back in 2018, the score for the Reykjavik Index for the whole of the G7 countries was 72. And this year it's 72. So that tells us that we are living in an era where even if we think things are progressing across society as a whole, they're really not. I think it's very easy for us to confuse what we might be experiencing in our own communities or friendship groups, or even in the businesses that we work with and all the organisations that might be very progressive. I think it's easy to confuse that with the way society as a whole is operating. So, you know, if we get back to that bigger picture of the G7, no change at all over five years, a little bit of movement. So let's be clear, there's positive direction in Germany, in Italy, in Japan. The Reykjavik Index has moved there from a pretty low base where there's a significant amount of prejudice against women leaders to a slight reduction in the amount of prejudice. But the big finding of this year is what's happened in the US, where when we looked five years ago at the G7, we had the US as number two. So right at the top of the table, and it's dropped in one year to the bottom. So an absolute significant shift. And I think we can discuss what the reasons for that might be. But we also know the types of conversations that have been dominating public life, how they've related to women. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that that has influenced societal perceptions overall about the role of women and their ability to lead. 
the challenges associated with managing the conflicting identities of womanhood and leadership do not stop at appearances. Gender, it's a core part of many individuals' identity, and it's something that we live out at work through language, behaviour, and even dress, whether by choice or expectation. Regardless of whether women leaders choose to adhere to stereotypical feminine behaviours or to the leadership norm or ideal, they all need to manage the consequences of those conflicting identities. For example, when it comes to showing emotions at work, we know that women leaders are penalised for even minor displays of emotion when compared to male colleagues, especially when they're expressing anger or dominance. For men, the accepted organisational ideal is to be emotionally restrained, but there's no similar strategy that women leaders can implement to get off this tiny tightrope. Because if women are called in unemotional, they violate expected gender roles because we expect women to be warm and soft-hearted. Managing this, it creates significant psychological strain because women are required to constantly regulate their emotions and their reactions to prevent that backlash. Here, Dr. Michelle shares with us more from her research about the prejudice that women leaders face. If we take the five-year view, there's been no improvement but there was a period when things looked like they were and there's been a, quite a sharp reversal. So let's think about those two particular measures. We ask people, and it's a percentage, do they feel very comfortable with the idea of a female CEO of a large corporation? And we also ask the same question about a head of state. So if we look at this data on female CEOs, for the G7 group, go back five years and it's 46% of the population who felt very comfortable. So the majority of people in the G7 group of countries not feeling entirely comfortable. And you saw a little bit of an increase year on year. And then again, we've seen this sudden decline into this year. But that average is very much shaped by a precipitous decline in the US where you've had an 11% drop. When you look at heads of government back in 2018, when we first started, that was 43% of the population felt very comfortable with a female head of state. Right now it's 45%. I mean, I don't think we should be getting excited about a 2% increase on this because overall it's a pretty devastating figure. But again, 7% drop in the last year for the USA, but a 15% drop in the UK. And just in terms of the research was done during September and early October, where the UK was having a particularly tumultuous period of leadership transition with the head of state. And the data can be influenced by immediate events. But consistently, over five years, the data is remarkably similar. And again, reinforcing that whilst we feel progress is being made, outside of your own networks and groups, society as a whole is not in a period of change. And then let's really deal with what we've also seen over the last five years. We've actually seen the gap between younger people, so 18 to 34 year olds and their parents, those between 55 and, and 65, we've seen the gap increase. And this is the bit that always throws people and they start to say, well, I'm not quite sure I can believe that, but across the G7, younger people carry more prejudice against female leaders than older people, and the gap is increasing. Whether born out of necessity or choice, women leaders are encouraged to distance themselves from traditional womanhood and align themselves to the leadership ideal. 
However, the key reason many women pursue leadership roles is to change the status quo and advance future generations of women leaders. Everyone stands to benefit from this. Research finds that women who view their gender identity in a positive way are much less likely to experience conflict with their identity as a leader. Women enjoy leading because they don't feel the need to suppress stereotypical behaviours that women might engage in. Overall, this reduces women's stress, fatigue and strain. However, gender is just one of many identities. When individuals perceive a conflict between their identity at work and the identities related to gender, race, ethnicity, nationality, ability, they report lower levels of well-being. This even extends to social roles, as conflict between motherhood and working life carries with it a range of negative outcomes. Here, Michelle shares more on the increased prejudice women leaders face because of the gap between how they lead and what we perceive the ideal worker to be. We can think about the wider context and what might be going on. And certainly in the themes and conversations we had at the Reykjavik Global Forum recently, a number of different themes. The first is the why relates to the why of the other big political shocks that have happened in our world. And whether that's Trump or whether that's Brexit or those range of things, what we do know is there is significant inequality. We know that there is a view that women, even as girls now, feel a little bit more of an opening towards them, thinking that they don't have to fulfill traditional stereotypes, but that boys are struggling with thinking about their identity going forward. And that might be one of the things that we're seeing coming through in the data, that they are moving towards re-traditionalizing in the absence of understanding what their role can be. So I think we have to be very clear about that. I think economic shocks, which certainly we've been experiencing a couple of other themes that have been discussed around this, you know, the active targeting on social media of young men and young women around themes to do with regressive views. And then lastly, our young people are the first generation to come through who have had access from a very young age to pornography and to social media and all the stereotyping that is part of that. And we don't know, but perhaps that is also driving this inability to view women as being suitable for leadership. As an employee, if your identity isn't valued, it reduces your confidence, self-worth, self-esteem and ultimately career satisfaction. For too long, many women have had to change, hide or adapt their identities to fit into a kind of man-made world of work. And in our workplaces, if we really want to advance all women, we need to value their identities in the same way that we do men's identities. And just to be really clear, this isn't just a message for men. Because the report that we're discussing on today's episode, it finds that women are also prejudiced against other women leaders. I think we have to remember we are in an era where when we poll on a huge variety of subjects, you see people pulling away to the extremes. And you also go back 15, 20 years when we were doing political polling across the G7, you generally see quite large groups 
who would form a majority. Society had consensus in a number of areas. If you look back just now at the midterms in the US elections, what you know is so many major things hang on a 49-51% sort of split. And when we look at these issues, when we're looking at perceptions of women in leadership, we're also looking at the way in which a number of other things, your view on society, your view on tradition, your view on a whole bunch of things, progression or retraditionalization hang, and you will see these splits. And those splits down the middle of society sit there just as much for women as they do for men. And I think when we first did the research five years ago, there was this feminist surprise that women carry prejudice against women. And of course they do. Of course it is internalized. But what we have found is that in every single country that we've done the work in, with one exception, it's Spain, but in every other country, yes, women carry high levels of prejudice against female leadership but less than men. And sometimes that is a gap of 10 points or more. So it can be quite a significant difference. The other area where you see a really big difference is in the answer to the question, do you believe your country has achieved equality? And sometimes there you'll see the men are 30 percentage points higher than the women in believing it's been achieved. So you do see differences between men and women, but that I think doesn't tend to reduce the surprise that people feel when they see this sexism, this prejudice amongst women. In the last podcast episode that we did with Dr. Michelle, we covered the 2021 Reykjavik Index findings and we did a deep dive on the worrying findings about increasing prejudice amongst young people against women in leadership roles. You know, I remember when I was studying law at university and I pretty naively said to my tutor, there are so many female law students here. Doesn't that mean in a generation we'll have so many more female judges and so many more female law firm leaders? And she very calmly but sagely replied, that's pretty much what I thought 20 years ago when I was in your position. You know, the thing is, we like to believe that gender equality will be achieved with the passage of time alone, but that's simply not true. Here, Dr. Michelle explains why. The first thing is, I think this is serious data and it should make us concerned. When I turn up and present this, I feel almost apologetic because it doesn't tend to make people feel good. But the flip side of this is when you're looking at perceptions of women and equality, it's a proxy for a number of things. Societies either tend to take a view that citizens are entitled to equality and are equal or they're not. So whilst this is a very specific study of women in leadership, it's also a measure of the bundle of discriminatory factors that you tend to see in society. So it will correlate with issues to do with how people are discriminated against on the basis of their sexuality, their region, their ethnicity. So it will correlate with a bunch of other things and it should make us extremely nervous because it is telling us that we are not in a period of progression at all. And in some ways, this is a regressive time because our younger people are coming through carrying greater levels of prejudice, and it won't be just towards women. It will be other types of prejudices and racisms that will be part of that. I think the second thing is it is really easy to think that you can't quite believe the data because the young people you know aren't like that or the communities or families that you're part of aren't like that. And I would say we must remind ourselves that 
there have been a number of what are called big surprises. And those big surprises have just been amongst liberal people who have found it impossible to imagine that the majority of society don't agree with them. And we've had a number of these over the last few years. And the answer isn't to suggest that this just isn't another one. This is measuring attitudes and beliefs across the whole spectrum of society, and we should take it very seriously. I think the other thing for us to remember is, as well as looking at the data and seeing that we're in a period where change isn't going fast enough, that the response to that shouldn't be to tell women to try harder. I think the response to that now has to be to align around the fact that we do mind that this is not acceptable and that organisations, civil society, governments, I mean, we raise this every year, but it isn't enough to encourage women to stay hopeful. I think it is a moment for us to be much more explicit about the problems that are coming the way of society and not just women, if we can't turn these trends around, particularly with our younger people. More equal workplaces serve to benefit everyone. The consulting firm Bain found that the number one factor that affects employee engagement is pressure to fit the ideal worker stereotype. Employees who work for companies that embrace different types of workers and different types of career paths are substantially more engaged than the average. That is, they have a positive attitude towards their work and the organisation. Using employee surveys to measure engagement, Bain found that men's engagement in these organisations is twice the average male and women's is three and a half times the average female. If we want to create workplaces that work for everyone, we have to start by understanding how they're broken. Here, Michelle shares specific actions all of us can take to tackle gender inequality. First of all, we do need to just keep going. And the more that we can create workplaces where people are rewarded fairly with as much inclusivity as possible, well, the better for all of us. Five years into this research, I am very clearly now on the side of no longer feeling supportive of programs that are about training women to deal with this. Women aren't the problem. We don't need to fix women. The issues are about the way organisations, companies and societies work. And I'm certainly making that shift myself that All of our work about inclusivity and diversity is for everyone. I think we need to be taking a much stronger view about all of the actions and behaviours and microaggressions that women and other groups experience every day in the workplace and put the onus to correct them on those people who do these things and not on the people who previously we might have been training to better manage being on the receiving end of that. The bottom line is that it's in an organisation's best interest to work towards greater equality. We need diverse and inclusive teams to provide the innovation and the creativity that we need for the future. So workplaces, we need to harness the multiple identities that people have if we want to survive and ultimately thrive in a changing, increasingly globalised and increasingly disrupted working world. To empower employees and to work towards this greater equality, we need to create different career paths that meet employees' different needs. This includes understanding our employees' different ambitions, challenges and career aspirations instead of adopting a kind of one-size-fits-all approach to progression. But to do this, both employees and leaders need to be willing to try new approaches to work, like off the top of my head, job sharing or 
four-day working weeks or by designing a system that values output over input. This also includes perhaps having the bravery to advance employees who contribute to the organisation in new, innovative, meaningful ways, not just simply rewarding perhaps a more narrow definition of success. You know, sometimes resistance to change like this is based on this idea that the status quo is understood and it served the organisation well in the past. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thinking. But the thing is, the way we've worked and the way we've led for generations it's not perfect or even neutral, to be honest. It's always been a system that worked for some, but not for everyone. So maybe it's about time we tried something different. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. A quick one before you go, please, please, please. If you love our podcast and you want to hear more, then hit subscribe now and leave a review. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.